Let's open our Bibles, John chapter 7, and uh, <clears throat> Matt prayed for Anthony and Irene, and it just happens today is Anthony's birthday, and he turned 39 today. Isn't that hard to believe? You know, I was really young when I had him. I was like 10, so, you know. My mom always used to say she was 39. You say, how old are you? She's 39. She stayed 39 for a long, long time. John chapter 7. We talked last uh, time about <clears throat> this, this thing about family and how family has these ideas. They want to get you going on. And, and Jesus' family, you know, his brothers, they told him, you know, there's a big feast going on. We're going. And we want you to go. You should go. It, it would really help your public image. It would really help you to, you know, make a big name for yourself. Get you a whole lot of publicity, you know, free publicity if you go there. Yet, at the same time, they didn't even believe in him. It doesn't even make a lot of sense. But, but you know, a lot of times things we say and do don't make a lot of sense, too. And some of the things that maybe your family says to you don't make a lot of sense. But, you know, they think that they think that they have to help you along your, your path. And, and, but the fact of the matter is, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is the shepherd. And we we got to follow him. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today a little bit. But Jesus, you know, some of the points from last week, Jesus didn't need any help with PR. Why would he do that? He knew exactly what he was doing. The Father had a plan. And, and Jesus was totally on God's timetable and not man's timetable. And there's a huge difference. God's timetable is not our timetable. And God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, he says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've got to remember that. God, what's your plan, your way? Because it's not going to be the same as what I think it should be. Very rarely does that ever happen. He's just got a bigger, higher plan. He's got a better plan. But we've got to tune into what it is. We've got to ask him what it is. <clears throat> and then the last point <clears throat> is one of the ways that uh, Jesus taught his disciples, and, and I think he's wanting us to hear it as well. It says, he says this in he says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. That's not the way of the world. The way of the world is, you know, climb up that ladder. It doesn't matter how many people you need to step on to get there. To be first, you've got to climb that ladder of success. But, but he said that's not the way. That's the way of the world. That's not his way. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's pick it up again. We're going to read verse 10. Because his, his brothers had said, you know, go up to the feast, the festival of tabernacles. However, verse 10, after Jesus said, I'm not going to go. He says, I'm not yet going to go. And he stayed behind in Galilee. However, verse 10, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also. But not publicly, but in secret. He, he had a different plan. Now, he didn't say that he wasn't going to go. He said, this isn't the right time for me to go. I'm going to follow God's time, God's purposes. And so he did go, but he went in God's time and in God's way. Now, in the city of Jerusalem, 
you know, at that time, you know, there were different kinds of people and different kinds of responses to Jesus. And that is always true. There are different responses. And, and one was the religious leaders who uh, John calls them frequently the Jews. But really there was this elite group of religious leaders. And, and it says here, look at verse 11. It says, at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? They were looking for him to come, and, and the reason they were looking for him to come was what? To kill him. They didn't like him. They didn't like the attention that he gathered. They wouldn't like a scene like this, that, that Jesus would have people around him. Because why? Because they wanted the attention for themselves. Again, a huge difference between the ways of God and the ways of man. We like to have publicity. We like to, you know, get attention. We like people to gather around us. We like those kinds of things. The religious leaders, they said, where is that man? They want to get rid of him. Verse 12, and among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. This is that same word we saw earlier in the gospel, this murmuring, this complaining, this kind of low-level Speaking, And some said he's a good man. There were some that were saying about Jesus, he's a good man. Now, can anybody remember what Jesus said about that when someone said to him, you know, good teacher? He said, there's no one good except God. He didn't say that he wasn't God. He said, you need to understand what you're saying. There is really no one good except God. But then others said, the middle of verse 12. No. He deceives the people. He deceives the people. That's kind of a serious charge, isn't it? I wonder why they would say something like that. I think that there probably, probably were people around who were deceiving people. Just, I think, as today, there are people around in, the, in our world today that are, that are deceiving the people. Some knowingly and willingly, and some maybe they just don't understand, they don't know, but they're still deceiving people. They themselves, perhaps, are deceived. So where do we go to find the truth? Some people said here that Jesus was deceiving people. But, but Jesus himself said this, watch out what? that no one deceives you. He said, be careful, there will be people that come, and people even say that they are the Christ. But an interesting verse I found that Paul says in the book of Galatians, and this kind of ties in with this whole theme and this whole idea of what's going on here, the, the brother saying, go up and make a name for yourself. Paul said this, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We kind of get this idea, you know, that we're, you know, I really am something. We're deceiving ourselves, first of all. It is funny. But look at verse 13. This is kind of interesting. Again, Jesus, you know, he, he goes, but he's kind of still kind of kept quiet. And the next verse we'll see, he begins to teach. But it says, verse 13, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Again, those religious leaders. People weren't saying anything. 
they have these thoughts and they would say it quietly. But no one would say it publicly for fear of the Jews. This is a problem. This is a problem then and I think it is a problem today as well. But in the Gospel of John, we see this over and over again. Uh, In the Gospel Gospel of John chapter 9, the parents of the man who Jesus healed, it says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. They're going to be excommunicated from the synagogue if they acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. So because they were afraid of that, they wouldn't say anything. Chapter 12, it comes up again. It says, many even among the leaders, even among those Jews, it says many among them believed in him. They believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, because of that that total group, it says that they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. They were afraid, even among the leaders. We saw that again in chapter 19, when Joseph of Arimathea, he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and he would eventually get the body of Jesus and it would be put into his very own tomb. It says Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Secretly, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. What kind of climate was that? You say, well, you know, that's, that's what was going on then, but, but isn't that something we see developing today? For us to, to confess publicly that we believe in Jesus, we're, we're, gonna, we're facing discrimination. We're facing people that are saying, you know, it's gone up to the Supreme Court where somebody says, I, I, you know, I, my faith, the Word of God tells me that I, I really should not and cannot participate in that, but, but I am, you know, I'm not going to do it. And then the society going to force you to do it? This is at the Supreme Court of the United States. You know, I can, I can see it and I can understand it to some degree in certain countries, right? Communist countries, right? Muslim countries. But in the United States of America, it's starting to happen, people. Be careful. Be careful, Jesus said. Don't let anyone deceive you. But Jesus... We see in verse 14, he wasn't afraid of them. And, and <clears throat> though, you know, he knew what the plan was of the leaders to, to, to take him and, and get rid of him, he, he was not afraid of them. Look at verse 14. Halfway, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So, so he, he, he really didn't care. He didn't, he didn't love the praise of men, but he loved the praise of his father. He wanted to do what his father had asked him to do and, and share and teach what his father had asked him to share and teach. It's kind of interesting, though. Uh, what did his brothers want him to do in Jerusalem? Anybody remember? 
Well, you can look back in verse 3. He says, you ought to leave here and go to Judea, they said to his, his brothers said to him, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. They wanted him to go and make, you know, a big, big name and do all these miraculous things. And Jesus goes, he says, listen, here, you've got another plan here. My plan is the Father's plan. That's what I'm going to do. And so he goes, and what does he do? He doesn't do a miracle right then. He's done miracles, of course. And he would go on to do more miracles. But what does he do? He begins to teach the people. He begins to teach them. Peter said, we saw it in chapter 6, when Jesus asked him, are you going to leave as well? Are you going to go away too? After the crowd left? And what did, what did Peter say? Look at verse, where is it? <clears throat> 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Jesus began to teach them, and he began to teach them these important things, these words, and what he taught. That's why we study what the Bible teaches. That's why we're in the Gospel of John, to find out what did Jesus teach? What was he trying to share with us so we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free? But look at this attitude here in verse 15 of the Jews. Again, the religious leaders, the Jews, they were amazed. And they asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Now, they weren't amazed in a good way. They were amazed in a very negative, critical way. In other words, he didn't even go to one of our schools. And they, at the time, I don't remember the exact number, but at the time there were quite a number of uh, uh, scores of, you know, these centers where the rabbis would teach and where the rabbis, if you wanted to move up in the, in the you know, the, the realm, you needed to go to their specific school so that you could be teach, to be teached, so that you could be taught and you could then get the degree that they had. Well, well Jesus didn't have a Ph.D., he didn't have an a MA or an AA or a BA or anything else. He didn't have any of that stuff. He didn't study with them, but it's amazing, isn't it? The things that he taught, and when you, when you begin to look at it, how did, he, how did he know all that stuff? If he never went to the, to the schools, how did he know all that stuff? Well, back in John chapter 1, it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, what? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that, 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 that teaches us that He is the Word. He is the Word became flesh. He is the Word. Not only He was with the Father, He was with God before He ever came to the earth. So He, he, he totally, completely had the whole understanding because he was God, he was with God, and then he came and dwelt among us. How does he know all that stuff? Because he wrote the book, because he is a word. You know, it's very important for you and I to go right to the source and not, you know, uh, it used to be and, you know, the, the church would teach, you know, that you can't go and you can't read the Bible, right? And why would they say that? Because you can't possibly understand that. You can't, po let us explain it to you. Let us, 
you know, help you to understand it. And, and for a, lo- a long, long time, right, the, the, the messages and the, the whole service was in another language. Let us explain it to you, and we're going to speak in another language that you can't even understand. And you're going to walk away and know? Like, hello? And so men and women, men and women gave their lives to get the Scripture, the Word of God, into the language of the common people like you and like me. They gave their lives for it. That You, cannot, you and I can open this book now, and it's in, in our language that we can read and understand. Even today, there are men and women giving their lives so that the Bible could be translated in languages that, that people do not have the Scriptures in their own language. And there are still thousands. And, and people like... You know, the Wycliffe Bible translators are working very, very hard to get the Bible translated in these different languages. Jesus spoke to them, and, and he began to teach them. They were amazed. You know what? For you and I to go directly to the Word and to, to let, the, let the Word of God, let Jesus speak to us, let the Father speak to us through his Word, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that in all of life than to know that God is, is, is alive and well in your life and that he's speaking to you through his word. Acts chapter 4, it says that, you know, they, they, they looked at Peter and John and it says, it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They never went to the school either. They didn't go to the Bible school either. They didn't go to those places. They realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. And it says they were astonished and they took note, what? That these men had been with Jesus. They took note. They didn't go to the school, but, but because they had spent time with Jesus, it, you know, it, it, it just came, kind of came out of them. That, that is true for you and I as well, that if we spend time with Jesus, people are going to see it. They're going to be astonished. Like, what, what, is, what is going on in this person's life? That's a, that's a call for you and I to have a, a walk and a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? Now, contrary to what his brothers expected, Jesus, you know, here in John chapter 7, he wasn't trying to lift himself up, but, but he was going to bring a message from the Father. Look at verse 16. <clears throat> Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. It comes from him who sent me. Verse 17, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Again, Jesus doing completely differently than what they expected, what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to go and like just, you know, put up all kinds of banners, put up all kinds of stuff and and make a big, big sound. But Jesus came and just said, listen, I'm here to teach you what the Father wants you to know. It's no different today. He wants to teach you and I what the Father wants us to know. But there's something that struck me in the, in the begin, beginning of this verse, and, and, and really it, it, it kind of puts it all together for me, is that, that there's a heart to obey. Because it's, he says it there in verse 17, if anyone chooses to do God's will, You'll find out. If anyone chooses, and this word chooses means to will or to be resolved, to, to seriously want, to love, 
to take delight in as this determination settled. If anyone chooses to do God's will, there's there's something about you and I where there's a choice that we make, and and it affects our heart. It it needs to come from our hearts, really, that that you and I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do God's will. Did they really want to do God's will? And, you know, it, it, it's one thing, it's one thing to have a, a knowledge and this head knowledge of, of, of the things that are taught in the Bible, but, but, but he's speaking here about a heart to not just hear it, right? But what? To do it. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out. If anyone has a heart to obey, he'll find out. Someone said this, if people loved God and wanted to do His will, they would see that what Jesus taught was the truth. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorites, he said this, a willingness to obey is the secret of learning God's truth. You see, if we really don't want to, if we don't want to do what God has to say, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. It's just, you know, there's no point in it. If we really don't want to do what he has to say, why study it? Why, why even look at it? You know, James, uh, who was, what, a half-brother of Jesus, right? He gets a lot of flack, you know, but, uh, because, he, because he taught you know, so strongly this message. But, but I think it's true, you know, it's not just to be hearers of the word, right? But what, what, did, he, what did James say? But to be doers of it as well. Don't just hear it, but actually do it. Put it into practice. I don't think we're going to make any, any progress in our spiritual life unless we come to the place where we are willing to say, God, I, I just want to do whatever you want. I want to submit. I want to surrender. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I, I want to seriously listen to you and do what you, do what you say, do what your word teaches. The NIV Study Bible said it reflects a whole attitude of life. A whole attitude of life. It's, it, it permeates our whole life. Are, am I willing to do what God says? If you're not, if we're not, why bother? My point. Why bother? You know, you could be outside somewhere today just enjoying the beautiful sunshine. Why bother if you don't really want to do what God wants you to do? Go get a boat, a jet ski, whatever. Now, some of you, maybe you're going to get on your boats after church. That's fine. That's cool. And if you have a jet ski, I'm available. <laughs> but there's something about having a heart to do what, what God wants, to, to obey Him, not just know about Him. You know, Jesus was, was totally the ultimate example of this, wasn't He? In His willingness to obey the Father. He brought the message from the Father. He said, my, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the Father. But, but in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, later on, what did He say? You know, he said, if, if this cup, if there's any other way than the cross, if there's any other path, is there any other way we can do this, Father, let this cup pass from me, but what? But not my will, but yours be done. 
sometimes to do what the Father wants isn't going to be easy. And Jesus showed us that. I mean, you know, you and I aren't going to be called to give our lives for the sake of the whole world, world for the sins of the whole world. We, can't, we couldn't do that even if we wanted to. But Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. I think that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer for you and I. Not my will, but yours be done. Look at verse 18. He who speaks on his own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Again, we see this theme being woven throughout. You know, I'm I'm not here to speak, to gain honor for for myself. He wasn't self-seeking. In fact, he was just the opposite, right? He wanted to bring glory to God. Verses 19 through 23 now. But first let me say this. Those that, that, that do want to bring glory to themselves, those that, those that really want to uh, build themselves up. Someone said this, says this, and I like this. You can't trust a person who is tooting his own horn. Someone who's wanting honor for himself. Someone who wants to make a name for himself. And someone else said this, if the Christian teacher, this is someone who's teaching now, and pastors, teachers of of, of all different types, if the Christian teacher is anxious to draw attention to himself, he cannot point people to Christ. So so the, the teacher who's pointing and having people draw attention to himself, you can't, you can't, Bring attention to yourself and bring attention to Jesus at the same time. It's one or the other. The verses 19 through 23 now, the real issue that the Jews had. Let's read these verses. And it says, Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? This kind of gets to the, the real problem they, that they had. They, they would, you know, look up to Moses. They would look up to the law, and yet they didn't even keep it. And they were angry with Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. Of course, they were envious of him, but, but they were also angry with him because he healed a, a man who was suffering for many, many years. They healed him on the Sabbath day. And they said, because you did that, you know, we're not going to listen to you. In fact, we want to get rid of you. We want to kill you. That's blasphemy. You make yourself equal with God and you break the commandments. But in truth, they were the ones who who were breaking the commandments. He said, you're trying to kill me. Well, didn't one of the Ten Commandments say, you shall not murder? And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to murder Jesus. But the crowd, they say to him, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Now, I wondered about this because I, you know, there are different places people said that to Jesus. 
But the crowd was saying it now, and I, I wonder, you know, were they not aware of, of the fact that these leaders did want to kill Jesus? I, I don't think they were spreading it around, these leaders. Or maybe, probably, this is possibly true as well, that the, the Jewish leaders t- were spreading stories about Jesus. That guy, Jesus, he's demon-possessed. That's a kind of a scary thing to say about it, though, isn't it? And people would believe it. We see it again and again in the Gospels. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Mark chapter 3, it's a pretty serious thing to say that Jesus is possessed by a demon, by the way. They said he's possessed by Beelzebub, in other words, Satan himself. So Jesus said, how can Satan drive out Satan? He, he had driven out a demon. But he, he gives this very serious thing. I just want to point this out. We're not going to speak about it. But he says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. That's pretty serious stuff to be saying these things about Jesus. Now, on the other hand, they didn't really understand the scripture. and They didn't really understand the command. And, and the fact of the matter is and the Jews didn't understand the scripture. They would teach it, but they didn't really understand it because they would actually, and and Jesus just pointed this out, they would circumcise on the eighth day, even if it was the Sabbath day. And they had no problem doing that. But when Jesus comes along and heals somebody, which is even better than circumcision, they got all angry. They got all bent out of shape. And so we'll finish in verse 24. We're going to have communion today. Verse 24, Jesus says to them, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Isn't that what the brothers wanted him to do? Just go and, you know, make a big giant show. Show everybody how big you are, how important you are. And Jesus tells these people, you know what, you've got to go a little bit deeper. You know, that's, that's a superficial, that's a surface way of looking at what's going on. You need to go deeper. You really need to, to check your hearts out. Are your hearts right with me? Are your hearts, you know, really wanting to follow and obey God? There's so much superficiality in our society and and sad to say in our church as well. We're we're just superficial. We look good on the outside. We we say it. We we say the right words. But what's going on on the inside? Is there really that that depth that that God wants to get to our hearts? And, And Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances. You know, when when the Lord wanted to choose somebody to take uh, Saul's place in, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, they, they were looking and, and they, you know, they were looking at, at uh, 
David and his brothers, right? Most of you know this story. And, and, and so they, 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 the Lord said, bring David's family, bring all the brothers before me, and I'll show you which one is it, it's going to be. Well, they, they started bringing these guys, and they were, they, they were like tall and handsome, you know, kind of like me. And, and, well, maybe short and handsome. Okay. But, but they looked at them and they said, yeah, that is the guy that is the one. That's definitely the guy that, that, that is the one. And, and the Lord said, no, that's not the guy at all. Bring the next one. Oh, yeah, he's, look at him. No, he's not the one at all. And, and finally, uh, these words, the Lord says these words, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's about the heart. God can see right into my heart. He can see into your heart. He, you know, we are so, uh, you know, again, caught up in the way things look, these outward appearances, mere appearances, but he wants to get to the heart. Let's read that. I put that uh, <clears throat> in your bulletin. Let's read that. I want, you, I want to read that to you. You can read along with me. It's in your bulletin there if you want to pull that out. That quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray, you know, uh, any of you read any Andrew Murray's writings? Some of you, maybe you heard of him. That guy is deep, I'm telling you. He's just like, I can, it's hard to read some of this stuff. It's just like so deep. But he wrote a book, and, and uh, I found this quote. I haven't read the book, but I found the quote. I like the quote. He says, with Christ in the school of obedience. He says, the true pupil, some of, say of some great musician or painter, yields his master a wholehearted and unhesitating submission. And in practicing his scales or mixing the colors, in the slow and patient study of the elements of his art, he knows that it is wisdom to simply and fully obey. It is this wholehearted surrender to his guidance, that's the Father's guidance, this implicit submission to his authority which Christ asks. And we come to him asking him to teach us the lost art of obeying God as he did. And the only way of learning to do a thing is to do it. And the only way of learning obedience from Christ is to give up our will to him and to make the doing of his will the one desire and delight of our heart. That's what he wants. But until we surrender, until we just say, Lord, I'll, I just want to do it. I just want to do what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm tired of just being like a superficial believer. I want to I be real. I want to be true to you and to who you are in my life. Let's pray together, shall we, before we prepare for communion. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to, who came to teach us. And the things that he had to teach us were deep and you want to get to the the core of who we are and and not just the surface but to the very depths of our very being so lord we come we say lord 
Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, O God, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Search us, God. Try us. Get to the very heart of who we are. Father, I know it. it's not easy because some of the stuff inside of us is not all that pretty. But you want to cleanse and forgive and, and renew and restore and give us that life and that hope and the truth within and set us free. That's what you want to do as we surrender to you, as we just say yes. Lord, we come. We come this morning and we and just, I don't know, maybe we, we talked earlier about this dark place in life that sometimes we go through or maybe Maybe things are going great, but, but whatever it is, that it's still it's always a good time to say, Lord, I, I humble myself before you and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's okay, it's good, it's right. Lord, we come, we want to meet you now and, and share communion together, Lord. We pray that you would just meet us here in the cup and the bread. In Jesus' name, amen.